Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. This is your host, Brandon Laws. I'm with Wendy Gilbert, a first-time guest. She's on the HR team at Zenium and has a tremendous background in recruiting, talent acquisition, you name it. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So today, uh, this is a topic that you're passionate about. You actually presented on to the te- internal team, and mm-hmm. we we're like, "Wow, what an <laughs> awesome topic!" We're talking about reentry into the into the uh, job market, second chances, and then ban the box, which is pre- pretty new to Oregon. I know other states are starting to do this. So mm-hmm. well, let's kind of go through, and you're going to give us a nice overview, I'm sure, as to kind of what this whole topic's all about. So, so what this whole topic is about is. Starting on January 1st, uh, 2016, they're having ban the box go into place, which means that you cannot ask on the app- job application if somebody has a criminal background. So typically, and this has been in place for as long as I can remember, people ask, have you had a felony conviction in the last seven years? The problem with that is that people who have had that are usually immediately dismissed. They can't even come to the table. And so now what Portland is doing um, to help those people re-enter back in society in a more productive and positive way. They're taking that off the application. So you can still ask that, but you're asking in the interview. So it gives them a chance to come to the table, which yeah, they didn't and prove, almost prove themselves. So you're basically mm-hmm. saying through the application process, they check the box, they're automatically filtered out through applicant tracking systems, and even if people are manually going through resumes mm-hmm. or applications, they're they're seeing that box being checked, and they're just... Off to the side. Literally, yeah, in the garbage can or, you know, off to the side. They're not even going to consider them. Do you think that once it gets to the point where they're in the interview and that question does come up, that it could be awkward? Very. And I think it's often more awkward for the interviewer. Yeah. Where the candidate coming to the table knows, yeah, there's going to be a question that's going to come up. Um, And usually at that point, they've already marked in the application and they get an interview. They know this person has usually seen it. Or the worst awkward moment where they haven't seen it and they have that moment of when the interview goes, oh, I just saw this. And it's even worse because they know yeah. usually by the person's face that it's kind of over. So I want to I want to come back to Bay in the Box. I want to talk about the bigger issue here, the mm-hmm. reentry issue. So yeah. of the people that are currently incarcerated, mm-hmm. how many people actually end up coming back into the community to the productive community like they they they're out and then they want to get a job how many of those people would come back in the community the majority yeah and you know in reentering society and having a job is is can be the most significant factor of where their life goes after serving their time in prison or sometimes not even prison sometimes just having the felony conviction and then rebuilding after that so right now nationally there are 2.3 million people currently incarcerated when i heard that number that's a huge number it blew my mind because that's twice the size of Portland that are currently in the prison system. Yeah. So that's a population that cannot be ignored. No matter what your opinion is, you cannot ignore this population. 
of those 700,000 will re-enter society this year alone. Just wow. this year. So a lot of these are the short, shorter prison term sentences. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And 31,000 people are currently under supervision in the community, meaning uh, they're on parole, they're on probation, they could be in their own homes, they could be in halfway houses, um, you know, and this, the amount of people that are currently incarcerated has grown so much as the drug problem continues to grow mm-hmm. in our society. Mm-hmm. So and these things have direct cause-effect relationships. Absolutely. So really what it comes down to is right now one in four people has a criminal record. That's, That's a lot higher than I would have thought. 25% of our population. So when you're counting out people as an employer who have a criminal record, you're immediately just counting 25% of the population without even taking into account their skill set. That's incredible. So that, I mean, to your point, I think this poses a bigger issue, right? So mm-hmm. people are re-entering, looking for jobs. What kind of, what do you think this could do to our community if these people don't get jobs again and employers ignore the fact that they might have st- skills they're actually looking for? Well, if they're not able to support themselves, they're gonna have, they have to find money in some way. And a lot of times people with records are not even eligible for any kind of assistance or any kind of public assistance. So they, they have to make money. They have to eat. And they're not eligible for food stamps. They're not eligible for any kind of housing assistance, all because of this. Unemployment is the biggest determinant of recidivism, of, you know, the, the, the committing another crime and going back into mm, the system. Yeah. So basically, even just by having that one crime, if you don't have all the right things in place and all lined up, it's almost it, almost like a slide right back into the system and, and you just become systemized and it becomes yeah. a cycle. In Oregon, 93% of those incarcerated will re-enter the community this year. You have 2.3 million people currently incarcerated, 700,000 re-enter society. In Oregon, 93% of the people currently incarcerated are going to re-enter the community at some point. And that's a huge number. So when you consider... Employers are like filtering these people out as they come back in looking for jobs. That that could pose a big issue as far as like criminal activity. You talked about the recidivism right. issue where they would just commit a crime and get back into the system. Well, right. So that increases crime, in, yeah. you know, in the neighborhoods. They're they're having to find money, and you know, a lot of times it's a last resort. That's when they're going back to selling drugs, they're going back to theft, they're going back to robbery. Uh, sometimes violent crimes because they're needing, you say make a living, you know, in, in the mm. grandest definition possible, but people need money to live. So if these people are coming out of prison and your political and opinions aside, the, fact, yeah. uh, the fact of the matter is these people are coming out of prison. They're now not eligible for any kind of public assistance. They're being discounted for most jobs out there. Uh, they're not even getting a chance to come to the table. So all that's doing is increasing crime all around for you know, any for society. Yeah. No, there's definitely a bigger issue at play. So what I want to ask you is, of the people that, that come out, mm-hmm. what are the likelihood that they could beef up the resume somehow, maybe even get some experience if they can, to show employers that, hey, I'm on the right track. I want to be productive again. Sure. Give me a chance. Right. What are the ch- what are the chances that for one employers will give them that chance from the very beginning of the the acquisition process? The the chances are low. It's about yeah. finding the right employer to in fact give them the chance. And even they'll even say, 
use that language of give them the chance. I actually had this situation this morning where we have uh, somebody's been working as a temporary worker from one of our more our bigger employers, our bigger accounts here. And this person's been working as a temp for seven months. And now they want to hire him on full time. And we did a criminal background check. And we found quite the record. Oh. Drug-related and related crimes, mostly probably because of the drug problem. And it was it was quite the list. And it was from several years ago, but not quite seven years ago. So it absolutely came up. And then it became a bigger conversation. And it became about what's his performance on the job. And so he had to jump through a lot more hoops. Now, he committed a lot of crimes. There's a lot to pay. There's a lot to pay back. And again, people have opinions left and right all over the place. But here is a person who is trying to do the right thing, who has yeah. kept his nose clean seven months in the job, and now they did decide to give him a chance. Good for them. I can see where a lot of employers will look at it and say, and the reason they do these checks mm-hmm. is they they want to know if the 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 past is any indication of the future, right? Right? They they want to mitigate their risks long term, and so I totally get it. And I think there's a balance. There's I think employers still have to to figure out if it's if it's worth the risk or not with a long list like that. Absolutely. You never know if he's gonna or that I don't know if it's a he or she mm-hmm. if that person's going to have another issue and then it's going to bleed over in the workplace and then it's going to be an issue. And, you know, I think that every time you make a high hurt, it's a risk. You do the best Absolutely. you can in interviews and in I background checks. But it's, it's all, it's every time you hire somebody, it's a risk. Somebody can have an absolutely clean record. And you see this all the time, unfortunately, you know, in things like with childcare, um, where they do every background check, they do reference checks, they do everything they possibly can. And then, you know, somebody commits some horrible offense. Yeah. And, of course, then the employer gets sued. And how could they see it coming? How did they know? They've done everything they can. Reference checks, background checks, you name it. And the person doesn't have a record. They haven't had a record. Now, what's interesting is people can absolutely have success. And and there there is now, with more information, becoming some predictability in the matter. Uh, I attended a really great... uh, Portland Human Resource Management Association breakfast a few months ago, and the HR team and the legal team for Dave's Killer Bread presented. Now, mm. they are very well known Absolutely. for hiring people called second chance employment, helping people re-enter into the workforce, and they had a really great program, and they came out and said that there are really five indicators of success that are finding they're pretty consistent. Um, the first one is that the person has received in-prison cognitive behavioral therapy. Hmm. So I don't know if you know this, but before my career in HR, I was actually a therapist for 10 years. I did not know that. So I'm very familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that does is really work with people into taking responsibility and ownership um, for what their situation was. And then also working with them to give them the coping skills and coping mechanisms going forward that can help them make better decisions. A lot of times people make bad decisions because they can't cope with what's going on in the moment, whatever that might be. Um, so to give them those skills and practice those skills with them going forward, and it's not the Freudian stuff or not necessarily going back and looking at, you know, edible complexes or anything else, but it's real life in the moment type stuff. 
The second um, is if they receive drug and alcohol treatment during their incarceration period. Of course, if they had and a drug problem. would that mean problem. if yeah, they were incarcerated because of a drug problem? Right, and it would make sense. And sometimes they could have even been incarcerated because of something like robbery, but they committed robbery because they had a drug because problem. Because of a drug problem. Um, that is really key. And it's it's also in a place where they can't leave, they can't escape it, they can't decide to not do it. And, you know, it has to happen. And they're, the, the professionals are used to working with people in that environment. Um, and for a lot of people, that is their rock bottom, being in prison. Mm-hmm. So that is their place to really pay attention and really be open to receiving that treatment. So the third thing is, in coming out of prison, is having housing. Especially if you don't have family or friends wanting to take you in. Or you're going back into an environment where people are committing the same crimes that you've committed. And so making sure, so there's a lot of uh, social workers and parole officers and probation officers in place to help set up housing. Or if people maybe have limitations, if they were a sex offender in some way, can't be near a school, make sure that they have adequate housing. And then also the fourth thing is support systems. People, all of us, need to have support systems in place to be successful in life. None of us operate in a vacuum. And none of us do this alone. We really need to have people around us that want us to be successful. And it doesn't have to be your natural family. It could be the people that you choose to be your family. Sometimes it's just people at work. Sometimes it's people that you pass on the street that just say hi to you every day. Those things can be really meaningful. But making sure that people have the proper support systems for the re-entering that they need so they they can cope and they can use their skills and they can bring all these things together. And the fifth, which is really the biggest, is employment. This statistic that I heard at this breakfast really blew me away, that each day a person is out of work, it increases their chance of recidivism by 2%. Day? Each day. That's incredible. People do better when they have a sense of purpose, when they have a sense of responsibility, they have a sense of purpose, they have a sense of meaningfulness in their life, and they have a direction. You know, we always talk about keeping kids in school and keeping kids in after-school programs and things to make sure they have direction, to make sure... (laughs) So they're not getting in trouble after school. Exactly. You know, that that downtime, you know, when there's nothing going on, that's when kids tend to get in trouble the most, between like 3 and 6 p.m. So... uh, (laughs) Right, exactly. And so, yeah, so it's making sure that each day that this person has a job, that they, they have a purpose, they have something to go to, they have structure. And so sure. I want you to restate this again. So mm-hmm. Dave's Killer Bread, very successful in hiring, mm-hmm. getting getting people who were previously incarcerated back into the job market. Absolutely. They have five indicators for what are going to be likely successful mm-hmm. people when they're re-entering in the job market. What are those five success things again? Just real the quick. Five indicators of success. The first one is cognitive behavioral therapy received during incarceration, drug and alcohol treatment received during their incarceration period, and when they come out, it's having housing, having proper support systems, and the biggest one, which is employment. Awesome. I, I just think for employers who are really willing to take that chance, having those those success factors that another company's used and it's benefited greatly for them. So I think that that could be helpful for listeners. Absolutely. Days Killer Bright said about almost 50% of their workforce right now are people who have uh, previous, previous criminal records. It's pretty incredible. And we all know how successful they are. They've recently gone national. So good for them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to ban the box. Mm-hmm. Oregon issue right now. Uh, so this is a, 
January 1st effective date? Yes. Okay. And then explain exactly what Ban the Box is, what employers really need to think about from this, from this new law. So what Ban the Box is, is that you can't ask on the application whether or not somebody has had a felony conviction in the last seven years. And that's just a checkbox, right? That's usually it's a checked box and it's saying, if yes, please explain. That's what you see most of the time on applications. And, um, Oftentimes, and I've seen it myself as a recruiter, I've been instructed to do this as a recruiter. If there's a blanket policy of, you know, if somebody checks yes, we just don't even consider them. I want to make sure that it's not Zenium here. I've not been a recruiter here at Zenium. These are for other companies I've worked for. The more... But I would... mm -hmm. I'm going to assume that most employers are practicing that. Absolutely. And that's why this law is probably coming into effect, is they want to be able to give people who were previously incarcerated, a a chance. And it it makes such a big difference. So I worked in staffing for a while, and a lot of my my anecdotes about this really come from my time in staffing. I saw so much. I saw people who had um, had a career and had been successful and had made some poor choices and did their time and maybe did things that were over and above what was mandated for them and still couldn't get a chance. One of the things, the stories that really stands out for me is I remember, and I'm working staffing. I'm, I'm, I am staffing light industrial positions, uh, lower level office positions, and a gentleman comes in, and he used to be a registered nurse, and he was a successful nurse. And during that time, he got diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And so he was going through treatment, and in his treatment in that course, he became addicted to pain pills which we know is a more and more common story these days. He made a bad decision, and he stole pills from work. He got caught. He lost his nursing license. He lost his job. And with that, he not only completed treatment, but he did other programs and other community service as well. He came into the staffing agency saying, I I just need something. I I was a supervisor. I I was a nurse. I understand I can't work in that field again. He accepted his, his circumstances and the consequences of his actions. And he was working in um, a food processing plant, and he was extremely unhappy. He was, I think that... It wasn't the right fit for him. It, it probably wasn't his calling. As as. Not even close. And he was really open to almost anything. And he had a lot of skills. And working in staffing and working with probably about 30 different employers that day looking for positions for them, I didn't have a single one for them. For him. Not a single one for him because they all had blanket policies. If they have a felony conviction, we don't want to talk to them. And I think that this guy had a chance to come to the table and they talked with him. In an interview process. In an interview process or even just shook his hand because they would have seen what I saw. And this wasn't with what I call like a liberal bleeding heart. I mean, this was a person who was well-dressed, presented well, spoke well, was honest and open about his situation and could not catch a break, even though he had done above and beyond what he was just only mandated to do. There's uh, another story that stands out for me where it was a young man that came in and he had amazing computer skills. He had really great computer skills. And he um, was up for a computer programmer position that would have been a great fit. And he went through all the assessment tests and everything. In the first half of the interview, it he slipped through the cracks and it wasn't his own fault. It was an internal mistake. He was up front that he had a felony conviction and, uh, um, 
he was passed through anyway, even the employers said nobody with felony convictions. So he went through the whole thing. And then I'm getting to the point where I'm doing this new hire paperwork. He scored in the top 1% of everybody testing for this job. And I was going through it. I'm like, okay, so no felony conviction. He's like, oh, no, I do. And I'm like, you do? And he said, yeah. And I, like, my heart sunk. And I had to tell him. And he... I can't hire you. Sorry. He actually had a felony conviction for uh, possession of marijuana. Oh, my. And as we know now. Right. And so now it's legal. So this was in Oregon still. It was in Oregon. It was quite a few years ago. And I think about him a lot still. And his face. and Incredible. You you could tell that he finally thought he had something. And he really wanted to do well. He he presented so well. And I had to tell him, like, I'm sorry. I couldn't even bring it to the employer. And I watched him just kind of walk outside. He held it together and he got outside the door and he broke down. He was just sobbing, crying. And then he just took a deep breath and picked himself up and just walked on. Like, you know, his, his hopes got up. It was, it was a really tough situation, but I think a lot of people, when they think about people that, um, will be positively affected by the ban the box, they're thinking about the people that may have been in and out of prison for a long time, for many years, and that they will be on these lower skill jobs and, and looking to make it. And my opinion is that it's going to gravitate up, that you're going to see more people in higher skill positions, and that'll be your coworkers. And you won't know, hopefully, that they have, hopefully, (laughs) that they have these uh, criminal backgrounds because they've made a mistake because of whatever circumstances, and they've done their work. So, and you know, also with the five indicators of success and going back, there are some people that wind up with a felony conviction, wind up in prison. Or maybe their sentence is suspended, but then now they still have this conviction. They they might not even have been eligible for kind of behavioral therapy or drug and alcohol mm. treatment. So there, it's possible in in doing that that people with lower level offenses, just because they don't have these things, it can mean they didn't qualify. So that also should not necessarily be held against them. It should be looked at together as a whole picture. A holistic picture, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine employers are looking at this ban the box law that's going to take place they're like okay what do i do mm-hmm. i gotta change my application obviously mm-hmm. and then where can they start to have this dialogue about do you have a criminal background history i'm sure there's specific parts of the recruiting and hiring process where they can have that open dialogue is it an interview is it phone screen where mm-hmm. where is it it's in the interview and how bluntly can they ask the question you should ask. You should ask. You should and, get and, it on the table and then so, give them a chance to explain this. So I don't think it should be your first question upon sitting down. <laughs> I don't think that exactly creates a rapport that you're looking for in any interview. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, hopefully when you're going into an interview as an employer and you're interviewing a candidate, that you're having a, a set list of questions already. And it makes sense to have that in your set list of questions. I don't even think it should necessarily be your second or third question, but I think it should be in that list. And you can say, have you had a felony conviction in the last seven years? And the whole point of law is now at this point, they can say yes and then explain. And the biggest thing is don't dance around it. If they say yes, especially if it's your first or second interview where this has come up, just like we all are when we've been new to interviewing, it's a little nerve-wracking at first, even being on the interviewer end. So this is going to be a new piece, and that's okay. And the whole point is if that comes up, to have your questions ready, um, to be prepared. So some really 
great questions to ask are, you know, do you have a felony conviction in the last seven years? And they say, yeah, say, what was the charge? Other questions are, you know, where did you serve and for how long? You can ask these things. Ask them, what classes did you take while you were incarcerated? It's going to make you sound good, you know, to ask that question. Um, but because you want to know a bit about their programming and let them talk about it. And you're going to find that a lot of people who are in this situation want to talk about it. They're going to be relieved to be themselves and be able to bring that to the table. And you might find somebody who not only has, what I say, done their work, um, above and beyond, but has really come maybe come out on the other side as a better person. The, one of the questions um, that was really driven home in this presentation to ask, and there's a really important question, is what was your aha moment? This That's the moment where they were ready to live their life differently and take responsibility for their past actions. That that really hit home for me because people that are looking to change their lives in whatever shape or form have that aha moment. We're saying, I need to do something different here. And I like that because it, it's an open-ended question to the point where you can actually see what their behavior is like, too. It gives them a chance mm-hmm. to storytell a little bit and see if, and you can, I mean, if you're a good people reader, you'd be able to determine if they're truly making the effort to exactly to get back into society and be productive. Exactly. And for somebody to be able to tell their story of, this is the moment I realized, whether it was sitting in a jail cell or a prison cell, or whether it was afterwards and they saw something in their life and said, I don't want to do this anymore. It, it gives you a sense of how serious they are. Yeah, absolutely. And the question I would follow that up with is what steps have you taken to move forward? Because that tells you about what path that person is on and, and, and how hard they're working for it. And it could be that they're just starting out, but they're really determined and they're really motivated. Do you know of any studies that have been going on about re-entry, whether it's been a positive or a negative thing? Portland State University apparently is doing a study right now. And the time of the presentation by Dave's Killer Bread, they said that the study was about halfway done, but already the evidence was strongly showing that people with criminal backgrounds are less likely to get in trouble at work, that they're, they're more likely to so-called keep their nose clean and to really take their job seriously. My guess is they're probably just more appreciative of being able to have that chance. And I think it's I think it's probably multifaceted. I think it's probably that, but I also think uh, the purpose. You you go back to that purpose you mentioned earlier on, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and mm-hmm. being part of an organization gives you that. It, simply put, it really does. I think it does. Being part of a team, being part of a purpose, absolutely. I think it really does, and it gives it gives people or reason to keep going in the right direction. So we've ran long. I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. For the employers that are really considering hiring mm-hmm. those that have been that have a criminal background, what are some potential benefits? I know employers probably are like, well, okay, there's got to be something in it for me. There's there's there yeah, there's is be something. something in it there for is them. There is something in it for them. There's <laughs> money that? in it for oh, them. Okay. So it's the Work Opportunity Tax Credit. Hmm. And the tax credit for hiring people in certain target groups, and that includes people with criminal backgrounds and veterans, you can get up to $2,400 a year for direct hires. Hmm. So, And that's for direct hires. Um, that's not necessarily through a temp agency and then coming on to you. And then temp agency gets that money. Um, Interesting. But if you really uh, are looking to give people that chance and and do uh, hire somebody with a criminal background, 
there's just a simple form online. Um, it's a federal form, and you can receive up to $2,400 a year tax credit for that. Plus, just the good feeling that you're hiring somebody. I think it's more so that. I mean, the money, I'm sure, for, for some <laughs> employers would be great, but that's it's a pretty small tax benefit, but I think more so you're just doing the right thing for people. You're doing the right thing, and then you're really putting your interview skills to work. You're bringing somebody on who who has a bigger stake than most in keeping their job and doing a good job on the job, and then being able to watch them grow and blossom and do something different, I think will give people a really good feeling. I have one more question for you, actually. I, I'm always leery of, I'm more of a free market guy myself, <laughs> um, and I'm always... When new laws are passed, I'm always more of, uh, on the fence of, do we really need this? With this one, do you think there's any unintended consequences from having the ban the box? But I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just curious if, if you see any that are potentially something that could come back. To yeah. Dollars. I actually had this question at the presentation. It's funny that you asked that because I raised my hand and I said, well, oh, you <laughs> I, I raised my hand because I, I, I think I'm probably pretty similar to thinking to you. And coming from HR, of course, I'm always thinking about risk. Yeah. And this is not without risk. I, I raised my hand and I asked, if you've done your checks, if you had somebody, you hired somebody that you know had a criminal background and you asked all these questions and they presented very well and they did really great in the interview, they met the team, they did really well, they're on the job, they're doing well, and then there's an incident, there's something that happens. Could the employer be held liable saying, you knew this person had a criminal background, you knew that they were capable of making a bad decision and could they you know the employer be held liable and the answer is yes i mean you know there is risk however if you didn't know the person had a criminal background and maybe it was more than seven years ago or maybe they don't have one and something happened the employer could still be held liable so yes there's risk as a recruiter there's risk in every hire I have hired people that wound up stealing from the company and I did not see that coming and I was an experienced recruiter. It happened to co-workers of mine as well. Um, there's always risk and there, and it, it's about using the best skills possible in the interview and your decision making to make the best decisions you can and I just think that's how we all get through life. I agree with you. Well, Wendy, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate your storytelling. And that uh, made it very fun for the discussion. So, um, again, Wendy Gilbert, she's on the HR team at Zenium. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.